0: Sorry. I want to begin where Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie ends. She closes her TED talk, which is the source of um, the reading that we heard, by saying, when we reject the single story, when we realize that there is never a single story about any place, we regain a kind of paradise. I love that she ends there and that she gives her talk in that spirit. Because certainly for me and maybe for you too, the reminder not to stereotype, to be open and listening to others can be presented as a chore. It's not an easy thing to do after all. And um, comes laden with all sorts of guilt and responsibility, or maybe that's you know just the way I roll. And yet, as she says, it's, it's a joyful promise what we can regain. There's so much for us to receive by rejecting the single story. I'm thinking of situations like, think of an argument you have had recently with somebody who you care about. Really, every argument that we've ever had with someone we love is it not in part and maybe at heart, that each of us is bringing a story to that encounter that's incomplete. It's too simple. And when we think we know but don't fully know what is within that person, then we're not able to repair the relationship. You know, so we go to our separate corners and grumble about how wrong they are and how right we are. And if we're able to come together and say tell me your story tell me what was going on for you right then it is inevitably more complex than we knew and so what that offers us is a richer relationship even than we had before the tiff it occurs to me also listening to adichie that knowing one story is worse than knowing none at all when we don't know anything about a person, a place, a history of of something in particular, we know we don't know. We know that we're ignorant and have something to learn, but with one, we can be fooled into thinking we've got this. Embracing the fact that we're largely ignorant. As as Joe said, we can't know the stories of all seven billion people. I don't even know the stories of the people I live with the person I've known from her very first day on earth, and I never will. So embracing the fact that we are largely ignorant allows us to open our senses, our minds, our hearts, to what we have yet to discover. What a wonderful promise that is. Perhaps you have had the painful experience of seeing people impose a single story on someone you knew and loved. I thought of this when I, when I heard Adichie's speech, which by the way um, is going to be the, the subject of the, um, the next time we meet an elder journey. So if you consider yourself an elder or can pass yourself off as an elder, come a week from Tuesday and we'll talk about this together. Um, so I thought of this incident and I'll change the details um, for the sake of people's privacy, but this is the essence of the experiences as, as it happened to me. A friend, um, a friend of mine worked for an organization um, that had gotten some bad press some months uh, before, a, the, a big enough organization that this bad press was something you might read about uh, no matter where you were. <clears throat> and then she died by her own hand, sad to say. <coughs> and a small article ran in the newspaper, the local newspaper. It wouldn't have meant anything to anyone who didn't know her. Um, or so one would think. But um, newspapers are no longer a local phenomenon, and so the story was visible to people everywhere. And um, they were able to see the uh, oh so brief description that included little more than, than her name and where she lived and who she worked for and um, how she had died. And heaven help us, they could also comment on it. So there were comments all about how her suicide must have been a result of the shame and guilt she felt about what her organization had done some months earlier. In fact, she had nothing to do with those particular actions um, in an organization that was quite large. She had not, as far as I know, given them any thought or had any particular feelings about them at all. Her problems were personal, not professional. They had nothing to do with her workplace. but. These commenters didn't even question their single story. It's like they knew two things, and they put them together um, and created this ludicrously simplified story of her life with such confidence. Now, I tell this story on them the way Adichie tells stories um, about, say, her roommate who who showed such um, ignorance and. Um, oversimplification of her of her as a Nigerian. Um, not to suggest um, any more than she suggests that, uh, that um, I'm particularly wise about these things and don't do this at all. This was a painful situation for me, but I know I've done the same thing. I know I have. I can think of numerous times where I just knew a couple things about somebody and, and those had to be connected in my mind. Um, I think it's part of how we think. We have this compulsion to know even when we can't possibly know. And this is what our minds do. They put together the little piece of information and assume that now we've got a story. So it's really not true that we ever can have no story, is it? Because uh, as Joe said, we, we start so early. We have so many assumptions that we're able to create a very sketchy story about anybody, any, somebody we pass on the street, uh, if we're not careful to just remind ourselves, I don't really know. I'm just guessing. We have minds that flee from uncertainty. They seek to categorize. They seek to understand. And so we, we never have a complete absence of a story. We have to let go of what we think we know. Or what we do know, and might be perfectly true, but as Adichie says about, uh, elsewhere in her talk about stereotypes, it's not that they're not true, it's just, it's just that they're incomplete. And to know just a little piece of a story, one story among a multiplicity of stories, is, is just like knowing an untruth, really. Chatting with, um, chatting with Castor Fu between the services, he came up with an image that I liked so much. I said, I'm gonna steal that, but I'll credit you and use it at the second service. He's like, he said, it's like autocomplete. It's, it's ho- totally like that, right? I know these two little things, I put in three letters and up, oh, oh, there it is. There's the whole story. As we know, that's not a reliable way to get a complete word. <laughs> this shows up just again and again in the way we meet one another. And sometimes it's really striking. Do you remember this phenomenon some years ago of, um, I can't remember the British name of the American, equivalent of American Idol or whatever, when Susan Boyle was a singer who was discovered on American Idol. So I'll tell you the story if you don't remember. Susan Boyle, um, who ended up getting a, a singing career out of this, um, she, she came on to sing and um, at the panel of, these judges who are all, you know, people with talent in these areas themselves and chosen as well for their, you know, physical attractiveness. And um, on comes this, um, frankly, you know, little homely, middle-aged, not svelte, um, British woman, hair in its natural color, which at her age was quite gray. and. She said what she was going to sing and she opened her mouth and this gorgeous gorgeous music poured out she had a simply beautiful voice and the camera showed each of the judges looking surprised shocked gratified how amazing it was clearly not only What we were supposed to see on their faces was they are hearing beautiful music, but oh my God, beautiful music is coming from this person. (laughs) Which really made that story uh, about the narrowness of the judge's understanding, or what they and the producers thought was going to be the narrowness of our understanding as the audience, that we would be... Astonished, which is strange when you think about it. I mean, there is no correlation between how much somebody physically resembles the standard of beauty of our time and how much their voice may be just gorgeous. It really should not be surprising that somebody with a homely face has a beautiful voice, but there it was. And, and perhaps I'm imposing a single story on them too. Perhaps the judges were not so astonished. Perhaps. Really, they were just moved by her beautiful performance. Maybe the producers were imposing too simple a story. They wanted to make it a fable about the ugly duckling. But the fable wasn't really about the singer. It was about the listeners. It's a gift to realize that we don't ever have the whole story. It really is that each person, each being, each situation we encounter is layered and enfolded in discoveries for us still to make. As frustrating as it may be and as challenging as it may be to hear over and over again, you don't really know me. You need to listen more. What it means is there are worlds still to be known. So we may have a single story of a place, as Adichie says, of people. And we can also have too simple a story of the world as a whole, um, which is to say of the meaning of our own lives. Naturally, standing here on a Sunday morning in a church, I'm thinking about the religious categories we carry with us, the religious rules and stories that we impose upon one another. If we drop the single story that may come to mind, the people right in this room will stretch us and surprise us and gratify us. We Unitarian Universalists, I think, pride ourselves on blurring categories, not being put in boxes, not putting other peoples in, people in boxes. For example, with how we blur the sacred and secular, you know, you might hear from a contemporary novelist as the reading instead of from an ancient scripture. Just to give one example. It's challenging for us too, though. It absolutely is. Maybe just as challenging as for anyone else not to impose a single story about what belief is, what spirituality is, what things go together and what don't. So I take a little perverse pleasure at this congregation in the fact that we have one minister on staff who describes herself as an atheist and yet has an active prayer life, and another minister who describes himself as a mystic and has said, and is in print in an official pamphlet from the Unitarian Universalist Association, no less, I don't pray. Praying is just something that's not a part of my life. But there's so much more to learn from. Each person here, not just the people who get to occupy the pulpit on a regular basis. Here I've met a rationalist who cannot speak of human love without his eyes welling up with tears. I have talked to a Hindu who reveres Sufi poets. We have the the left-winger and skeptic whose life was transformed by a revival meeting years ago and continues to be shaped by that experience decades later even though they're still a left-winger and a skeptic. Again, I'm changing the details a little, but ask for people's stories and you'll discover them. Can we allow our own stories to multiply and Can we rejoice in learning these things about each other, as challenging as they are, as much as they complicate our lives and make it difficult to do that thing the mind likes to do, of having it all sorted out, of knowing what's what? Because if we can do it about each other, in a place that we've established this foundation of affection and trust, then maybe we can do it with the world beyond these walls a little better as well. I don't know if these are really more polarized times than we've had in the past, some argue yes, some argue no, but there's no doubt that they are polarized times, and in such a time, there can be subtle, or not so subtle, pressure not to drop the single story that we have, not to even learn the other stories that people might be carrying within them. As if we're in separate enemy camps, and even to listen is to break down that fortress wall that keeps us safe. It's to aid and abet the enemy. I find it as difficult as anybody to really listen to somebody whose ideas are so different, challenging, sometimes, frankly, loathsome to me. But this is an article of faith, that nothing could be more wrongheaded or more dangerous to think that we have something to lose by listening to one another, just listening. We have nothing worthwhile to lose from embracing complexity and everything, everything, I mean the world, literally the world to gain. When we stop the, you know, Susan Boyle phenomenon and stop being surprised that people are more complex than our stereotypes of them, it will be because we are wide open to new stories. But something else will happen as well. We will be able to break out of the invisible boxes that hold us. Because don't we all tell ourselves stories as well about what we can be? We've been told stories, perhaps, and we believe them. What rules are we following that we're not even aware of? until we start thinking along these lines. I can't be this because I'm also that, and everyone else says that this and that don't ever come in one package, so guess I gotta choose. I wanna close with um, a little bit about the words of John Greenleaf Whittier that were just sung by the choir. a passage from his um, long poem, The Meeting, he was a Quaker, and it's about a Quaker meeting. And I guess I'm still pleasantly surprised, although the message of this sermon is, there's no reason for me to be. I'm surprised at the depth of connection that I see between a 19th century Quaker poet born in the rural United States. I mean, John Greenleaf Whittier. He's the epitome of the dead white male. It fills up our literary canon, right? The connection between him and this middle-class, young, female, contemporary of us, novelist, born in a Nigerian city a century later, raised Catholic, and changing our idea of what the literary canon is and can be. As Adichie would gently remind us, there's really nothing surprising about the affinity between them. So I want to share share with you the words uh, spoken that we just heard sung. And so I find it well to come for deeper rest to this still room. For here the habit of the soul feels less the outer world's control. For strength of mutual purpose pleads more honestly our common needs. And from the silence multiplied by these still forms on either side. The world that time and sense have known falls off and leaves us God alone. In that silence, from the silence multiplied, I hear him saying, like, like Joe said to us, listen. Just, just sit in silence, still your stories, still your assumptions, and just listen. Whatever anyone claims God to be, surely God and all that is holy, must be this. What we meet when time and sense surrender. When the control of what we think we know, what the world tells us is so, lets loose its controlling grip. When the soul enters into rest and silence and contemplation and simply opens to what is before us, to who is before us. Is this not the meaning of when two or three gather, there I am? When we truly meet one another, one another, not our single limiting stories of each other, but perceiving each other through the shifting kaleidoscope through which we each perceive ourselves, then we are in the presence of the sacred, and we find joy and blessing, and yes, as Adichie tells us, a kind of paradise. So may we do. Let us give and receive